wisdom. Tonight we're going to talk about wisdom probably in a um, different sense that we're probably not used to hearing in church, but wisdom for violence. Um, we live in a very violent culture, and so the Bible has some stuff to say about violence. And so, um, being that we're doing a study in Proverbs, we wanted to talk about um, what God has to say about wisdom for violence. Um, Proverbs chapter 1 is where we're going to start in verse 10. If you remember, actually, when I, when I did the fatherhood message, this was the same verse, verse I used, actually. But, um, so, we're going back to those, that same verse in Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 10. And it reads, my son, if sinners entice you, don't be persuaded. If they say, come with us, let's set an ambush and kill someone. Let's attack some innocent person just for fun. Let's swallow them alive like Sheol, still healthy as they go down to the pit. We'll find all kinds of valuable property and fill our homes with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we'll all share our money. My son, don't travel that road with them or set foot on their path because their feet run towards trouble, and they hurry to commit murder. It is foolish to spread a net where any bird can see it. But they set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. Such are the paths of all who make profit dishonestly. It takes the lives of those who receive it. Pray with me for a second. Father, I thank you. I praise you. I bless you for this opportunity and privilege to speak forth your word. Um, Lord, help me to, to, to teach this with simplicity, clarity, humbleness, brokenness, and repentance in my own heart. And uh, we just thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We'll give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So he said, son, if sinners entice you, and the word sinner here, um, particularly unbelievers who are ruled by sin, they're just chronic sinners. It's, it's their habit. It's their lifestyle. And that's basically who he's referring to here. And it's a father talking to a son, but I want us to see it. Basically, it's God talking to all of us as sons and daughters. So that's how I want us to see it tonight. It's God giving all of us instructions as sons and daughters concerning violence. Um, it's people who commit sin habitually. And so that's what he's talking about here. And he says, my son, if, if sinners entice you, don't be persuaded. It's, it's peer pressure. And I want the young people in particular to hear me tonight. Um, but peer pressure is a, is a powerful thing. And so um, we have an invitation to violence here. He said, if they entice you, don't be persuaded, he says. Don't be convinced, son. Don't fall for it. Don't give in to the peer pressure. And then in verse 11, he says, come, come, if they say, come with us, let's set an ambush and kill someone. There you have the invitation of violence. He said, they say, come with us. Let us set an ambush and kill someone. Let's attack some innocent person just for fun just for fun. I want to talk about a couple things that could lead to violence. The first one I, th I think I see here is boredom. They said, come, let's just do this because we ain't got nothing better to do, just for fun. And, and that's easy for young people in particular because you get bored easily. Idle time. There's a saying that says idle time is the devil's workshop. I think there's some truth to that. Um, young people who have a lot of idle time, their mind gets going and they can be easily persuaded. And that's why you have uh, gangs, um, particularly when there's a lack, a lack of activities in the community, um, that kind of thing can happen. You can get gangs and, and just bad company. Um, we've all heard in Chicago this past weekend, 74 people were shot in less than two days. 12 killed in less than three days in Chicago. Now, 
I'm not giving any excuse for that, for any type of violence or wrong behavior. Um, but sometimes what can lead to that kind of behavior is a lack of activities in the community. First of all, it's the breakdown of the family, the lack of a family structure. So whenever you see that kind of, of, of activity, those kind of, it's always a root cause for that. It doesn't just happen out of a vacuum. There's a reason you see that kind of activity. And first and foremost, it's the breakdown of the family. Um, fathers not being in the home in particular. And I guarantee you, everyone who did those shootings didn't have a father growing up in their home. And like I said, that's no excuse. But at the same time, we need to look at uh, situations that can lead to that kind of behavior. Now, I know we in our culture look to the government to do that a lot of times, and they can help. But I don't think the government is the ultimate answer for any of that. The ultimate answer is family structure. Families in place. And that's what happens when you try to redefine the family. You get all kind of crazy stuff. And so you can't do that. You need a father in your home. Kids need fathers. And so as a result of that, they get bored and they get an invitation to violence and it leads to stuff like Chicago and it leads to all the kind of stuff we're going to talk about in a minute. So you have this invitation for violence. So one of the, one of the motivations is just downright boredom for kids. They need something to do, especially after a certain age. And like I said, I'm not giving an excuse for that, but sometimes we need, we need to look at the whole picture and not just point at the problem. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm trying to say? Not just point at the problem. Like I said, the government can help, but that's not the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer is families, families in, in place, family structure. And if you don't have, um, if there's no father in the home, find somebody to be an influence in your son's life. Because most of the stuff is committed by young men. You don't see a lot of ga female gangs. All of these shootings are not done by women, not by females. These are young boys doing this, doing this stuff. So they need fathers. They need structure. They need uh, uh, leadership in the home. And that's where most of this comes from, a lack of that. So boredom is the first thing that can cause this. The second thing is greed and covetousness. Thir verse 13, we'll find all kinds of valuable property and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we'll all share our money. Look at that, greed and covetousness. He says, uh, uh, We'll find all kinds of valuable property and fill our house with plunder. Throw in your lot with us. Now, there's the invitation again. Come on with us. Throw in your lot with us. Proverbs chapter 16. Let's go there real quick. A violent man lures his neighbor, leading him in a way that is not good. And that's what you see. Come with us. Throw in your lot with us. A violent man lures his neighbor. They're luring these young people into this. Come with us. Throw in your lot with us out of greed and covetousness. Sin has a tendency to recruit, if you notice. It recruits. A lot of sin is done in groups. So sin recruits. Come on with us. I want to do this by myself. I need some... Misery loves company. Come with us. Sin recruits. And so, so see, gathering around a grievance is, a, is counterfeit community. When you gather around something other than Christ... It's a, it's a counterfeit community. It's a community, but it's a counterfeit community. See, we have community in the body of Christ. But see, there's always a, a, a false uh, uh, example of, of, a biblical, of a biblical thing. And so you have a counterfeit community. A negative cause provides a group to belong to. So you can have a negative cause and, and gather people around that, and it gives people a sense of belonging. That's why gangs are, are that's why you have gangs, because Young men want to, want to belong to something. 
especially if they don't have a family at home. If, if their father's not there, their mother's on crack, and they want to belong to somebody. Some, I want somebody to accept me and embrace me. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a negative uh, thing, but it provides a sense of belonging. At least I belong somewhere. At least somebody's going to embrace me and accept me. At least somebody's going to love me. And you have to be very careful who you allow to love you and to embrace you and to allow you into their group. Be very careful with that, young people. Bad company. See, it's better to be by yourself than be with bad company. The Bible talks about that too in the book of Proverbs. So don't be persuaded, he says here. So even though a negative cause provides a group to belong to, you need to find the right group to belong to. And so, like I said, that's where gangs come in. Greed and covetousness. Look at this. He says, we'll find all kinds of valuable property and fill our houses with plunder. We're going to take stuff that don't belong to us and bring it in my house. Out of greed and covetousness. We see it all in hip-hop. You know, um, the bling-bling. That's what that's all about. Just covetousness. Just wanting all this stuff for image sake. And if I can't buy it, if I can't afford to buy it, I'll just go take it. We'll find all kinds of valuable property and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us, and we'll all share our money. Listen to this. Throw in your lot with us. We'll all share our money. Listen, we're going to slit his throat, but we'll take care of you. We're going to do this drive-by, but you're going to get your cut, bro. You're going to be good. Throw in your lot with us. And listen, see, it's not just physical violence either. See, I figured out a way to embezzle millions of dollars from this company. Yeah, it's fraudulent, but, but throwing you a lot with us, we're going to share, you're going to share our money. You see what I'm saying? It ain't just, see Bernie Madoff, Enron. See, it ain't just in the hood. It's in Wall Street and big business. Economic violence, if you will. Throwing you a lot with us. We'll take care of you. You're going to be good. But it's, it's rooted in greed and covetousness. Taking stuff that don't belong to you. Stealing money from people that, 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 stealing money that don't belong to you, that belong to other people. So you got boredom. And you got greed and covetousness. And then you have the love of money. Verse 14, throw in your lot with us and we'll all share our money. That's love of money. Be careful of people who try to get you Wealth without work. Be leery of people, young people, who try to get you rich without working for it. I'm not talking about people who inherit fortune from family. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who try to, like this, you know, just want to take it. You don't have to work. Just, just come with us. We'll show you how to get the same thing without working. Wealth without work. First Timothy chapter 6. But those who want to be rich, like this group here, fall into temptation. See, it's tempting to take stuff that don't belong to you sometimes. If it appears to be easy, and it can be something even small. But it's people who fall into temptation, who, who want to be rich, fall into a temptation. A trap, it's a trap, and many foolish, harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's what that leads to. It's going to plunge you into ruin and destruction, a loss of, of, of well-being, not, not your being, but your well-being. And all, it's all rooted in consequences of covetousness and greed. 
He said it plunges people into, into, into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. It's going to cause you sorrow and pain. He said, and it can even cause you, some people have wandered away from the faith. It can lead you away from God. The love of money can cause you to walk away from God. And that's what this is all, love of money. He said, look, we're going to, and back to Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to all share our money. The love of money. So boredom, greed and covetousness, and the love of money lead, can lead to violence. There's one other thing that I believe can lead to violence that's not in here, and it's a desire for power. A desire for power. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 3. It says, A destitute leader who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no food. And a wicked ruler over a helpless people is like a roaring lion, a lion or a charging bear. Bear with me for, for a minute here. I want to read some things. But we're talking about uh, a desire for power. I want to talk about probably the most famous dictator and evil person who ever lived, Adolf Hitler. So we're going to start in, in Europe. Hitler was the leader of Germany during the Third Reich and the primary instigator of both the Second World War in Europe and the mass execution of millions of people deemed to be enemies or inferior to the Aryan ideal. He rose from being a talentless, a talentless painter to dictator of Germany and for a few months emperor of much of Europe before the constant gambling approach would, which has led him that far now brought, brought only disaster. His empire was crushed by an array of the world's strongest nations and he killed himself having killed millions in return. Millions he killed in return. He tried to change the social fabric of Germany by encouraging women to breed more and bringing in laws to secure racial purity. Jews were particularly targeted. He will equally, equally be remembered for his dreams of racial purity, which prompted him to order the executions of millions of people, perhaps as high as 11 million people. The Red Terror. The Red Terror, this is Lenin from Russia. The Red Terror was a program of mass repression, class extermination, and execution carried out by the Bolshevik government during the Russian Civil War. During the Civil War, Lenin's central government enacted what they called the Red Terror. The aims of, the, of them were twofold. Because Lenin's dictatorship seemed in danger of failing, the terror allowed them to control the state and reforge it through terror. They also aimed to remove whole classes of state enemies to wage a war by the workers against Buja, I don't know how to say this word, Buja Russia, Russia. To this end, a massive police state was created which operated outside the law and which could arrest seemingly anyone at any time who was judged as a class enemy. Looking suspicious, being in the wrong time at the wrong place, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, and being denounced by jealous rivals could all lead to imprisonment. Hundreds of thousands were locked up, tortured, and executed. Perhaps 500,000 people died. Lenin kept himself apart from the daily activity like signing death warrants, but he was the driving force that pushed everything up the gears. He was also the man who canceled a Bolshevik vote banning the death penalty. Let's go to Africa. Robert Mugabe. Uncle Rob is the quintessential hero to a tyrant, the modern-day messiah that helped bring freedom to Zimbabweans only to get himself power drunk. 
He has the illusion of democracy on one hand, while he oppresses the white Zimbabwe people with the other. Robert Mugabe has been viewed as being racist towards white people, targeting white citizens in various ways. To make him even more confusing, a number of Africans consider Mugabe a hero in their eyes. Mugabe has committed many crimes against human rights, according to news sources. In Mugabe's words, he has referred to lesbians and gays as being worse than dogs and pigs. Though his worst crimes are wielding his authoritarian power to strip white people of their wealth and property. In the international scene, he is regarded by many, especially the white folks, as one of the worst dictators of Africa ever. Idi Amin. Idi Amin is someone that doesn't need too much introduction. He is one of the worst dictators of the last 20th century, also known as the Butcher of Uganda. This man committed some unbelievably brutal, brutally, unbelievable brutal brutality that only modern-day Mexican drug cartels would touch. It is believed that at least 300,000 people were killed during his regime. This butcher left his mark on the whole world by his infamous killer squads to murder his opponents and their families. He showed no mercy to anyone. After the United Kingdom broke off all diplomatic relations with his regime in 1977, Amin declared he had defeated the British and conferred on himself this full title. Listen to what he said about himself. His Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal Ahaj, Dr. Idi Amin, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the seas, and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general, and Uganda in particular. That's what he said about himself. His Excellency, Lord of the beasts of the earth and the fishes of the sea. Okay, let's go to Asia. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. It's not entirely clear whether President Ahmadinejad or Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khomeini should be listed here as a dictator of Iran, but between the two of them, they certainly oppressed the people of one of the, most, of one of the world's oldest civilizations. Ahmadinejad almost certainly stole the 2009 presidential elections and then crushed the protesters who came out in the street um, in the abortive Green Revolution. Between 40 and 70 people were killed and about 4,000 arrested for protesting the rigged election results. Respect for basic human rights in Iran, especially freedom of expression and assembly, deteriorated in 2006. The government routinely tortures and mistreats detained dissidents, including through prolonged solitary confinement. Opponents of the government face harassment from the thuggish Basiz militia, as well as the secret police. Torture and mistreatment are routine for political prisoners, especially in the horrific Evan prison near Tehran. Pol Pot was a political leader whose communist Khmer Rouge government led Cambodia from 1975 to 79. The Khmer Rouge, in their attempt to socially engineer a class communist society, took particular aim at intellectuals, city residents, ethnic Vietnamese, civil servants, and religious leaders. Some historians regard the Pol Pot regime as one of the most barbaric and murderous in recent history. Almost immediately after taking power, the Khmer Rouge evacuated 2.5 million residents, formal civil servants, doctors, teachers, and other pro professionals were stripped of their possessions and forced to toil in the fields as part of a re-education process. Those that complained about the work, concealed their rations, or broke rules were usually tortured in detention centers and then killed. 
During the Cambodian genocide, the bones of millions of people who died from malnutrition, overwork, or inadequate health care also filled up mass graves across the country. Under Pol Pot, the state controlled all aspects of a person's life. Money, private property, jewelry, gambling, most reading material, and religion were outlawed. Agriculture was collectivized. Children were taken from their homes and forced into the military. And strict rules governing sexual relations, vocabulary, and clothing were laid down. Two more and I'm done. Let's, let's come home to America. There's a documentary called Lynching in America. Lynching in America makes the case that lynching of African Americans was terrorism, a widely supported phenomenon used to enforce racial subordination and segregation. Lynchings were violent and public events that traumatized black people throughout the country and were largely tolerated by state and federal officials. This was not frontier justice carried out by a few marginalized vigilantes or extremists. Instead, many African Americans who were never accused of any crime were tortured and murdered in front of picnicking spectators, including elected officials and prominent citizens, for bumping into a white person or wearing their military uniforms after World War I or not using the appropriate title when addressing a white person. People who participated in lynchings were celebrated and acted with impunity. From 1882 to 1968, there were 3,446 black people who were lynched in America. From 1882 to 1968. Why did I read all of that? Because I want you to see that there are people who are power hungry and who inflict violence on other people from every continent on the world. There are people who, leaders who are power hungry and who, who inflicted this violence on people who look like me and there were leaders who look like Pastor Chris and everybody else in this room and everything in between. Which goes to say that, see, this sin is not, uh, is not just for a certain race of people. Every race of people has done this. Every one of us, it looks like every one of us in here have done this. Since 1973, 55 million people have been aborted. Babies have been aborted. Violence on unborn children in this country has been going on since 1973. 55 million people, babies, have had violence inflicted upon them who look like every one of us in here. On every, from every continent on the planet. See, this is, not, this is not just for one group of people. Violence is not um, 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 acted up by, on just one group of people. It's a sin issue. Violence is a heart issue. It's a sin issue, a heart issue. And every one of us, people who look like all of us in here have done it and are still doing it to this day. Now, there's a such thing as spiritual power and spiritual dictators. So people do this in the name of God as well. Jim Jones in 1978, I'm old enough to remember when this happened. I remember it being on the news. In 1978, almost a thousand people committed suicide drinking Kool-Aid laced with cyanide poison because of a spiritual dictator named Jim Jones, who was power hungry and greedy and committed sexual violence acts against the members of the Congress. And 20 years ago, David Koresh, the uh, uh, 
in, in, in Plano, Texas, 86 people were killed because he also was power hungry. He was a spiritual dictator who tried to rule his congregation, quote unquote, unbiblically committed sexual acts against the children. Him and Jim Jones both committed sexual sin against members of the congregation. So I said I'll to say that this violent thing is universal. It's not just done by black people or white people or brown people or people from, from Europe or people from Africa or people from Asia. It's done by all of us. Okay, now, what does God have to say about all of that? Proverbs chapter 1, back... Back to verse 15, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 15. My son, don't travel that road with them or set foot on their path. Now, this is in contrast to come with us. God says, don't go. So you got two voices talking. Come with us. You'll share in our money. God says, son, don't travel that road with them. Now, who are you going to listen to? Don't travel that road with them or set foot on their path because their feet run towards trouble and they hurry to commit murder. See, you need to reject the association that leads to violence. The Bible says abstain from the very appearance of evil. From the very appearance of it. See, they don't always tell you what they're going to do. Violent people don't always tell you what they're going to do. I guarantee you, a lot of these people in, in, in Chicago didn't know what they were getting themselves into. A lot of these people who get into gangs don't realize what they're getting into. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 6 says, Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the lips of the wicked conceal violence. Did you hear that? He said, Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the lips of the, of the wicked conceal violence. They'll hide it from you and say, Oh, we're just going to have some fun. Conceal the violence. The Bible says that's wicked. The wicked people do that. Wicked people conceal the violence, the Bible says. Reject the association that leads to violence. First Timothy chapter 5. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder, and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. See, they're saying, come with us, but God says, don't share in the sins of others. You keep yourself pure. You're responsible for your own sin and your own salvation. When they say, come, go with us, let's do all the stuff, let's share, he says, the Bible says, don't, don't, don't participate in that. That's sin. Don't share in the sins of others. You keep yourself pure. If you got to eat by yourself in school, if you've got to sit by yourself in a cafeteria to keep from sharing in other people's sins, that's what you do. If you've got to eat by yourself at work because you won't share in other people's sins, whatever that may be, whether it's gossip, tearing down the boss, eat by yourself. Keep yourself pure. Reject the association that leads to violence. Verse 17 and 18. It is foolish to spread a net where any bird can see it, but they set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27. 
The one who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever rolls a stone, it will come back on him. Hmm. See what he's saying? He says, it's foolish to spread a net for a bird who can see it. He said, you set yourself up. He said, you're going to dig a pit for them, and you're going to fall into it. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 says the exact same thing. It says the exact same thing. And if whoever rolls a stone, it will come back on him. How many of those people out there have fallen into their own trap? How many people, how many drug dealers have become the drug user? How many people selling drugs, started out selling it, but ended up using it? Digging a pit for somebody else, but then they become their own best customer. This never ends good. It never ends good. Violence never ends good. He said, those who dig a pit will fall into it, and whoever rolls a stone, it will come back on them. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. You're, going, you're trapping yourself, he said. Back to Proverbs chapter, chapter 1. It's foolish to spread a net where any bird can see it. And sometimes, I don't know how you miss falling into stuff sometimes. See, I don't know how these young boys, and I'm not, all these years this has been happening, you see what this leads to. Either jail or death or both. And you see the trap. Because you see it on the news. You see him on the news every week and they look just like you. So what makes you think you're going to escape? What makes you think you ain't going to go to jail or get killed? What makes you think that? He said, that's foolish, the spread of net where any bird can see it. But they set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. Verse 19. Such are the paths of all who make profit dishonestly. It takes the lives of those who receive it. Such are the paths. What are the paths? They set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. That's the path. Such are the paths of all who profit dishonestly. He said dishonestly. See, that goes back to this trying to get wealth without work. Trying to profit dishonestly. Get rich quick schemes that are not legal. Get money quickly, however you choose to do that. Dishonest gain, the Bible calls it. And that leads to setting an ambush for yourselves and attacking your own life. It takes the lives who receive it it's going to cost you your life. You can die doing this. This is what he said. He said, it will cost you your life. It takes the lives of those who receive it. And he said, you will profit. He said, just honest, it's this dishonest profit. And it's going to cost you your life. It could very well cost you your very life. How many people who have participated in all this stuff have died how many of the young black men have been killed in the street? Countless, countless have been killed in the street trying to profit dishonestly. Listen, it's, it never ends well. It never ends well. And not just them. I mean, Bertie Madoff got caught. He's in prison for a hundred and some years. The Bible says, be not deceived. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, watch who you hang with. Bad company, drug dealers, gang members, extortionists, bad company corrupts good morals. All the stuff you learn in here, you go out and, get, and start engaging in this, it's going to corrupt what you learn. Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't be fooled. It's going to cost you your life. The Old Testament blood sacrifices I'm going to talk about for a second. When you saw the blood sacrifices or read, it, read about the blood sacrifice in the Old Testament, it was a bloody, violent act. It was not a pretty sight. When the priest, when the, when the priest did that, it was not pretty. When you read about them having to slit the throat of, of, of lambs and bulls and goats, you can just imagine blood everywhere. Blood everywhere. It was not a, a pretty, it was a violent act, but it was not a pretty sight. The reason God did that, the reason it was so violent was because God wanted to, us to see how seriously he took sin. He wanted to see how he felt about sinful behavior. So when the priest slit the throat of those animals, God was saying, this is what I should be doing to you. It was a violent act. When we come to the crucifixion of Jesus, I want to read something. In this book, The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel interviews uh, a theologian, a scholar, about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he talks about three things. He talks about hematridosis. And it's not a common thing, but it, is, it does happen. And what happens is that severe anxiety causes the release of chemicals that break down the capillaries and the sweat glands. And I want you to envision I want you to picture this. As the result, there's a small amount of bleeding into these glands, and the sweat comes out tinged with blood. We're not talking about a lot of blood. It's just a very, very small amount. What this did was set up the skin to be extremely fragile so that when Jesus was flogged by the Roman soldier the next day, his skin will be very, very sensitive. That's called hematridosis when the blood is mixed, is mixed with sweat. Then he talks about Roman flogging. Roman floggings were known to be terribly brutal. They usually consisted of 39 lashes, but frequently were a lot more than that, depending on the mood of the soldier applying the blows. The soldier would use a whip of braided leather thongs with metal balls woven into them. When the whip would strike the flesh, these balls would cause deep bruises or contusions, which would break open with further blows. 
and the whip had pieces of sharp bone, had pieces of sharp bone as well, which would cut the flesh severely. The back would be so shredded that part of the spine was sometimes exposed by the deep, deep cuts. The whipping would have gone all the way from the shoulders down to the back, the buttocks, and the back of the legs. It was just terrible. One physician who has studied Roman beating said, as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering, quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. A third century historian by the name of Eusebius described a flogging by saying, the sufferer's veins were laid bare and the very muscles, sinews, and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. Then he talks about hypovolemic shock. Hypovolemic shock. Shock. Hypo means low. Volume refers to volume. And emic means blood. So hypovolemic shock means that the person is suffering the effects of losing a large amount of blood. This does four things. First, the heart races to try to pump blood that isn't there. Second, the blood pressure drops causing fainting or collapse. Third, the kidney stops producing urine to maintain what volume is left. And fourth, the person becomes very thirsty as the, blood, as the body craves fluids to replace the, the lost blood volume. Jesus was in hypovolemic shock as he staggered up the road to the execution site at Calvary, carrying the horizontal beam of the cross. Finally, Jesus collapsed, and the Roman soldier ordered Simon to carry the cross for him. Later, we read that Jesus said, I thirst, at which point a sip of vinegar was offered to him. Because of the terrible effects of this beating, there's no question that Jesus was already in serious critical condition even before the nails were driven through his hands and his feet. Why did I read all that? The crucifixion of the Son of God was a violent act, a severely violent act. The, the, the blood sacrifice in the Old Testament were just symbols of what Jesus would do. What I just read to you actually happened to the Savior, the Son of God. And what's interesting, the Bible says, it pleased God to crush him. It pleased God that all that happened to Jesus right there, what I just read to you. Why did it please him? Because that was the only way that the forgiveness of sins could be applied to us. This is one violent act God, that God said, I'm pleased with that. See, all those other violent acts I read about, God called, that's sin, that's sinful. You are not to do that. But this violent act on the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God said, I'm pleased with that. I was pleased to crush him just so I can talk to you. Do you see what it took for our sins to be forgiven? The violent act that was inflicted on the Son of God, that was a violent act inflicted on the Son of God. And God said, I want you to embrace that. Not this but I do want you to embrace that act of violence because it shows how I feel about sin 
how dangerous sin is and the cost of sin. The cost of sin was this violent act that was inflicted upon Jesus Christ. Unbiblical violence that we read about is sin. This was ordained by God for the salvation of his elect. So when we take communion, when we celebrate the crucifixion, realize the violence that was involved that should have been inflicted upon me and you. But God said, I'll inflict it. See, see God's not waiting. He's not, he's not looking to shed your blood. He, he already shed his own. He's not looking to shed your blood. He's not, he's not after you. He inflicted all of that violent act upon his son so he wouldn't have to inflict it on you and me. That is reason for me to worship, and I'm not trying to sound deep. That's reason for me to worship. I never get tired of hearing that. So, to see, all these other acts of violence are done out of selfishness, greed. Let me read, let me read one last thing. One, one last thing. This is uh, uh, Ray Ortland's uh, commentary on the book of Proverbs. He says, uh, concerning verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. The father broadens the relevance of his message to everyone who fits his description, greedy for gain. That includes money, of course, but a lot more. At its core, unjust gain succeeds by stepping on someone else. See, violence, see all these people, all those dictators, they were just stepping on other people. See, along the way, we will meet people like that, self-centered, narcissistic backstappers. They can show up in, any diff- in all kinds of ways. Bullies, that's what bullies do. That's what bullies are. Uh, politicians who, who are concerned more about voting than the people. So acts of violence committed. See, they're not, it's all rooted in selfishness and greed. But see, God's act of violence was rooted in his love for you and me. It was rooted in his love for you. Nothing selfish about it. So as we prepare to take communion, let us remember as we meditate on what Jesus did for us. And I don't, and I don't mean to be gory, but sometimes, I, th- I think uh, uh, Mel Gibson did a good job in, in, in the movie that he did about, about the crucifixion. Um, I think he did a good job of showing the physical act of flogging and crucifixion. And I don't even think that, I don't even think that did it justice. But as we celebrate what Jesus did for us, Sometimes it's good to to remember the violent act that, that it took to purchase my salvation.